I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 95 of the Playing Footsie podcast. We're in almost to 100. We've got me, we've got Steve, and we've got Steve today, all talking about the news of the week. And we've got some pretty interesting news of the week. A lot of talking points that we want to go over today. Very, very interesting stuff going on. First of all, though, what have you guys been up to? Uh, my portfolio this week, Paul, is fairly steady, much like my digestive system now, happily. Uh, it's gone along more or less sideways, down a little tiny bit, but nothing really to speak of. Meanwhile, though, I've come down with a different condition. I have officially got World Cup fever. Um, I've been enjoying the World Cup. I've been following it along more, to be honest, just enjoying watching the results coming in than having too much time to watch stuff, because it's on at quite civilised times of the day in this part of the world. <laughs> it's sort of between between about 11 o'clock and 7 o'clock uh, in the, during the day, um, which unfortunately means I haven't seen very much of it because I have to work at those times. Uh, but I've been enjoying it, and there's been some fun sort of results coming through. Been enjoying watching that happen. England did well to start off with. It's uh, Thursday, by the way, so far, so we uh, still seeing results coming through, I guess, and there'll be plenty more by the time the show goes out. Yeah. Uh, but I'm enjoying that right now. Yeah, Germany lost. Uh, mm-hmm. Argentina lost. Mm-hmm. Out, yeah. It's quite interesting. I've only watched the England game so far, and I thought it was a bit weird. Uh, I mean, I, I get it, we won and whatever, but very strange sort of game that played out there, especially with the referee and things like that. But uh, tomorrow, so we're recording this Thursday, tomorrow is the USA game. Uh, let's see. Mm. I've got to find a place to work and hide away to watch that, actually. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. The US market, I think, is closed so everybody can watch it. Is that right? Or is that... Oh, no, that's today from Thanksgiving, right? (laughs) You got a score prediction? Uh, Oh, score prediction. 3-1 England. Yeah, Google Google predicts a 66% chance of... Uh, England winning 66%. I was going to say, Paul, bloody hell, you're going rough 66 nil. No, I, th- no. I, think, I to be fair, I think we'll batter them. I don't think there's much in that. Um, I didn't see much in that US squad against Wales, so I think we'll. I think it'll be five nil something like that. Oh okay. man, it's going to be a mental uh, World Cup if they do that. Bloody hell, have we just started talking about football for the first fucking ten minutes. Um, hmm. <laughs> Whenever I- you're away, Steve and I just talk about cricket. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> How you That's going less well, so we're talking about football. <laughs> how, you've been, how you been, Steve? Uh, yeah, pretty slow week, really. I don't think anything's really happened of any uh, any great news. Uh, I did get my, uh, I think we've explained a few times, uh, my pay is quite lumpy. Uh, I got my Christmas bonus uh, this one, so uh, quite a lot of that has gone into my, well, it's not actually gone in my eyes, so it's gone in my don't lump it in, but it was only because the market wasn't open today, something somebody was keen to remind me of on the Discord after I'd, <laughs> after I'd scribbled out my purchases and they were like, yeah, you're not going to buy it today. Um, I think we all but, do yeah. that. I think we all do that. No one yeah. knows. When, I mean, the the stockbrokers give you a give you an idea of when Thanksgiving is, but I woke up this morning and went, uh, why is my why is my why is this not moved today? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it turns oh. out because the uh, the market's closed. And I was looking at getting in some good entry points somewhere, um, but it's uh, yeah, it, it, that's kind of ruined the end of my week to be honest with you. Um, for me, uh, I have. I believe, actually, because it's going through the solicitors, I believe I've actually paid off that extra bit of help to buy that I talked about in my last video. Um, and that is done and gone. And I've managed to save all of the money in my ISA. So the the stocks that I sold, which is really annoying because they they actually took a they they actually ramped up after I after I sold them all, uh, is ready to go back in. Uh, so I'm going to be careful. I've got probably thirteen. 13 to 15 left in but i'm going to be careful it's going to take a few weeks to start wheeling it in but i'll be back to normal soon hopefully it's just a bit of a shame that uh the timing was pretty damn terrible unfortunately 
will some of your um, your followers on YouTube be getting more videos about the line soon? Then, if you're doing some uh, buying, absolutely, oh. absolutely. I mean, you 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 it's it's very easy to say that you know you can you can have a very simple investing investing thesis. Um, some people make it way too complicated, I think, as well. Um, but basically, every other analyst is doing this exactly the same thing. And if we're going to have any form of efficiency in the market then the line's as good as any right comment down below what stock should paul be buying right now with the massive pile of cash that he has yeah it's all gonna get dumped uh, i'm pretty scared it's pretty scary when you've got that that amount of money and you know you're just gonna slap it into the market when everyone's telling you in mm-hmm. 2023 it's gonna go down there's no doubt about that and i'm, I'm sitting here going oh my god what am I doing? So I'm going to do it slowly. I'm going to be very careful about what I'm putting money into. Um, but at the moment, big tech looks pretty pretty open to It does. Yeah. We must have literally hours of content entitled Stocks for Paul that you can go back through and so on. None of us has recommended this thing called Wood Boys, uh, though, which apparently is kind of, I think that's some form of meme stock somewhere along the way that all right. three of us have somehow managed to completely avoid. So stick yeah. it in there and see what happens for us, Paul. I'll have a look at Wood Boys. I've never heard of that, but it does not sound like a stock that's going to be around forever. <laughs> Sounds like a Magic Mike like style <laughs> show, doesn't it? Yeah, I was going to go. It's like a porn thing or something, isn't it? Um, uh, but, okay, I don't think it's that. <laughs> but today, today we're going to talk about uh, the FCA clamping down on the gamified type of uh, stock trading and investment apps. That's very important to us, probably, and probably uh, very important to a few of our listeners. The uh, Disney uh, changeover in the uh, leadership and maybe a a few other things if we've got time at the end there. But these are the two main things that we're going to talk about today. So what should we get started on? Is it um, the FCA? We've got here that the FCA is warning trading uh, and stock apps to review game-like designs. Regulator warns that points, badges, leaderboards and celebratory messages might lead to people taking on more investing risks. What do you guys think? Yes, it's the FCA is clamping down on people being encouraged to make decisions in, with investments and trades and so on that are not in their interests. So presumably no more stocks for Paul segments for us then in that case where we try and hawk all kinds of rubbish onto you. Um, but it's interesting, I think. I think what I'm most struck by with this is it reminds me of the fact that regulators, whether it's the FCA or uh, the FCC over the other side of the pond or whoever the regulator is, they are invariably slow. Uh, with this kind of thing. I mean, where on earth were they when the mean stocks and SPACs and everything else were going around with this kind of idea? I don't mind whether you take a view on this, uh, that what you should do is try and protect people from their own poor decisions, or whether you think, look, it's a market, people should be allowed to invest in dumb stuff if they want to, uh, and so on, or do things that are not in their own interest. But one way or another, you can't, I think, leave it through all of the last couple of years that we've had and suddenly decide now that uh, gamified trading um, and pop-ups encouraging you to do stuff with CFDs and so on are dangerous to people's financial well-being or something like that. The time for that was a long time ago. And I guess my main takeaway from all of this is if you are a stock market participant, and I guess a lot of people watching or listening to this show will be, you can't rely on anyone else to look after your interests here other than you. And that includes any of us, by the way, as well. We say at the beginning, this is not financial advice, uh, and it isn't. It's more or less just our thoughts that apply to our uh, finances and portfolios and stocks and what have you. But the FCA seems to be very, very late to this party, is my main observation about this. Steve? Yeah, i got really the same thoughts as you. Um, reading through the press release, you sort of think to yourself, uh, we could have done with all of this, you know, when everybody was sat at home with no job being paid to sit on their asses and started becoming have-a-go traders, um, uh, pumping um, stocks that were supposedly short and all the to-the-moon conversation. It, it feels like this, this kind of information has come out really, really late. And I mean, some of the advice in it uh, that the FCA are, uh, are imparting to app developers is, is really simple stuff like, you know, you shouldn't be getting incentives to to, to to trade, essentially, you shouldn't be getting, I mean, I don't know any apps that are giving in-app points for, for trading, but if you're trading to get in-app points, that just seems, that just seems really, really, really strange. Um, so the broker we use is going to fall foul of this because later on they say, um, 
basically um, apps that um, some product design features could be contributing to problematic, even gambling-like investor behavior. We expect all firms that offer stock trading to consumers to review and where appropriate make improvements to their products based upon these findings. So one of the things that they have pointed out is that uh, even if you're getting market updates over notifications, they, they, they consider this a form of gamification. They, thought, mm. they consider this is something that you probably shouldn't be getting. Um, but I wonder if it applies to people like, um, you know, like Hargreaves and people like that who have like a list of all the news underneath the stock as well i wonder mm. if that's something that they'll probably say you know you may, maybe i mean they probably don't help you let's be honest when you when we talk about staying in touch with your stock it very rarely means reading every single article that comes out about them because generally it's you know fluff one way or fluff the other but um yeah i guess trading two and two for me definitely has to change that notification system because Absolutely. i mean it gets on everyone's nerves it's just telling you like tesla this tesla that and <laughs> like nobody cares if you're not a tesla shareholder i mean i literally don't care you can turn all of those notifications off you can go through and you can tick every single box and it still sends them so yeah. it's like um i just don't i don't yeah I, I, don't, I don't get it paul do you do you read them uh first of all um i want to touch on the fca there and their timing um, I disagree with you guys on that one, uh, and it's it's very simple. I don't think this is this has pre uh, pre uh, precedent. I think that what we had in 2019 and 2020 was an influx of these new style of apps, and fair enough, they are very very. Um, they they mirror gambling and what we shouldn't be doing within the gambling industry as well. So, of course, the evidence to a point is there, but I feel like it's all anecdotal. And what you might see in this article that I've got up here is that um, this is based on they've, they've come out with this information based on a server of 3000 users across four trading apps that they used where they use the game like mechanics. I don't know which apps they are. I don't even know if they're in the UK, but. To, to make a decision like this and to avoid counter um, suing and things like that for, you know, sort of banning people too early without the evidence, they have to get the evidence behind them. They have to make it very obvious that people have lost money or have been drawn in by this game gamification type thing. So I think this is probably the earliest that they could have started to say something. And let's be very clear here. They haven't actually made any decision here. And they haven't actually brought in any rule or anything. They've simply written a letter. Uh, they've, they've kind of waggled their finger and said, okay, this is your chance to correct this. If you keep doing this, then we are going to have to lay, lay some pipe on this one. But um, yeah, I think... First of all, on that one, I think the FCA has gone pretty much as fast as they can. However, in America, this has been going on a little bit longer. You know, a lot of people out there say that Robinhood, which is by far the worst of any of these, as far as I can see, uh, certainly the biggest, has created this gamification. It pumped the articles. It was basically sending you to Reddit and going, hey, look at what they're saying on Reddit. Quick have a have a quick look and every time you make a trade it lets off like this little bit of confetti and it goes poof well done you've done this and you know things like that making it celebrate celebratory uh, are are very bad so it might be something that the fca is getting ahead of the americans here and saying right we see what's coming over there we see what they're doing it's only a matter of time before the british who are a little bit more reserved over here um start doing that sort of stuff to make a bit of money and yeah so maybe they maybe they're getting involved a little bit earlier than that but um let's link it to the, the app that i think all three of us use which is trading 212 um do you do you think you feel over gamified in there because i definitely see those no notifications i think to myself why the fuck do i need to know that gas prices have gone up one percent today why do i need to know that tesla has gone down seven percent today and should I, and 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 then immediately as you click it train 212 knows i don't use the cfd platform and it takes me into the cfd platform it takes me to that um that trade where I can simply buy it right there and get all like loads of panic. And then I get annoyed because I have to come out and go into my ISA and, and start looking for the stuff there. But yeah, it's what do you guys think on that one? So you're exactly right about this being a kind of CFD thing. This is where trading 212 makes its money from. CFDs, I'm 90 something percent certain, are 
banned in the US, so that's why they have kind of more options trading and other ways for people to deposit money and transfer it to their brokers on margin, basically. Um, that seems to be the kind of main issue here from what I can see of it. The idea is that Trading212, okay, so they make money through their CFD platform. Their CFD platform makes them money as long as people trade often and big in terms of uh, position size and in and out of stuff. Uh, and effectively, what happens is they get money more or less the more often you kind of click buttons and the more often you click buttons because you can see here are the biggest stocks that are earnings coming up. And I think, I know, I'll try and make some money by betting that Apple's earnings are going to be better than people are expecting. The more Trading212 kind of makes its cash like this. I don't think they're likely to be massively in the kind of um, headlights here of the FCA. Um, I think Steve's onto something where he points out that this is going to be quite difficult to enforce because, to a certain extent, you owe it to people to provide them with information or at least make information available to them. So think about Hargreave Lansdowne down the other end of the um, scheme. Uh, there's something, I think, there's nothing irresponsible for in my view of saying, look, here's what a bunch of analysts are saying about this stock. Just to an extent, they, uh, you might well want to find that out as an investor somewhere else anyway. You may well want to read what the kind of bull case for something is if you're planning on either investing it or shorting it or whatever. But So that clearly doesn't come under the category of gamifying anything, and anyone who's invested on Hargreaves Lansdowne will know it is not a good game um, or anything like that. It doesn't have any of the kind of flashing lights of anything of that sort. doesn't even sound like one. So I doubt very much we're going to see anything particularly getting enforced here on any of the platforms that we see. And free trade also, by the way, isn't particularly gamified. It's a, it's a painful platform to use for kind of the opposite reason. It is not fun to try and do things on free trade. Um, and in many ways, that's kind of a positive, right? It doesn't incent people to do things in the same sort of way. So I think with Trading212, we're mostly going to be okay. It might be that we see fewer annoying ads kind of popping up, but I haven't looked at how they're doing as a company, and I wonder if less action on their CFD platform, which I would expect might be bad for us on the other side of things. Just so, before we jump into that, Paul, because I know you'll, hmm. you'll be itching to say that, they are actually, FCA are actually laying some new pipe for this. Uh, so right. in July 23, we get the new consumer duty uh, regulation that will be dropping. And that's got a lot of changes to how financial services do a lot of things from how they price things to what level of understanding the consumer has, what level of support you give the consumer and the products and services you're allowed yeah. to offer. So that's yeah. really interesting. The other thing I just grasped before we do shuffle on to how Trading 2 on 2 are doing is um, they also dropped the Financial Lives survey. I don't know if you saw that. There were some shocking statistics in that about in, uh, how investors are, are actually being stressed at the moment. So they, they surveyed these people about how stressed their finances are in relation to uh, and, and to their investments. And there was some shocking statistics. I've pulled one out of here just to, just to show you kind of what it was like. 9% uh, of the adults surveyed uh, with investments have borrowed to, to invest. And 49% of them would not have been able to make the investment without doing so. So, you know, the, this is why the FCA are acting because, you know, there's people here who feel that it's so urgent that they need to make these investments that they're having to borrow to do it. And uh, I don't think that 9% would extrapolate out perhaps I, i'm not sure if that's a fair section i hope it's not a fair section uh, of investors i hope that's somewhat skewed by being quite a low sample that's a size, financial crisis that, <laughs> that just, exactly that that just shows you the the level of and, and probably why the fca is concerned but go on paul i know you're itching to talk about trading two and two is finance because you post in the discord every day <laughs> no 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 i've, I, I, I've got I'm about three quarters of the way through a video on the latest finances for Trade Two or Two, so I won't be. I won't be out too, next Christmas. Uh, yeah, I won't be going like too far into it. But um, as of December 2021, it's pretty good, right? Um, there, there's a lot of money there. <laughs> I, I couldn't work out how, how much was made from CFD because they don't disclose it, but uh, it's certainly very interesting to see what's going on there. I think. I wanted to talk about like the free shares and things like that because that could be something. And also with uh, Hargreaves Lansdowne and even Vanguard, I, of course these are not gamified. You couldn't suggest they're gamified in any way. But what about like having celebrities on your advert and things like that saying, "I invest in so and so because I do this." And I'm sure like Etoro said something along the lines of, "Want to get into Tesla? Do this." And surely that's like edging towards that financial advice because you're mentioning one basic stock or the popular stock and 
Does it work? I like that. It worked well for FTX, didn't it? Um, they, they've, <laughs> they've done really well for their celebrity endorsements. But yeah, I, I just don't think any of that stuff should be really allowed. I don't. I just don't think investing in financial apps is the right platform for celebrity endorsement. I mean, mm. when you know your average high quality fund manager fails to beat the S and P um, on a on a sort of like on a, on a long term basis, then I don't think there's really any business for like you know. Sylvester Stallone telling me what stocks he's invested in. I just, I don't, I don't see why you would, why we would want that. I, I, why would we want, why would we want confetti flying as we're making a trade? I guess is something in something in the psychology there works, right? You know, we've talked about different colours being able to work in these apps that make you more likely to. Uh, buy something. What if Trading212 did something as simple as when you're looking down the list of popular stocks today, one of them just wobbles a little bit. One of them just does a little wobble and it makes your eyes just go straight to that and they go, oh, Tesla, ah, I need to buy some more of that. And, you know, just things like that. You, they, they're they all there. They all exist. Robin Hood definitely does that. And yeah. uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, a bit of a dodgy one i think it's great i think it's a great thing to come in i think it is going to make uh investment companies think differently i think there must obviously be some other stocks uh some other brokers out there that the fca are worried about which i don't know about i, I guess there's some there's a lot of cfd only type trading apps out there at the moment which must be doing far worse than any any of those platforms that i've used like vanguard howard zanstown or trading 212 uh but I, I would say that trading 212 is certainly one of the bigger fish in this that could be targeted and maybe some of its processes like the ongoing notifications and what do they call them like on facebook they call them nudges so it's the same with any games that so if you play uh an app game on your phone like candy crush or something like that and it notices that you haven't played it for an hour it'll give you a little nudge that says something along the lines of congratulations you've just found five new coins and you can use them now and that gets you to go back into the game i'm not saying trading 212 does anything like that like give you random stuff out the blue where you sort of gain points but uh the little the, the nudges it's definitely doing it well, there's definitely something in investor psychology when you see stuff going up, you think, why wasn't I in natural gas? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's just, I guess that's what they're playing on. I guess if you know investor psychology, which you would assume that the people des designing these apps have at least a rough idea of what it is that we actually think, then I suppose you can play on those psychologies by doing things like trying to create FOMO or, or whatever. Um, I forgot to add this to the sheet, guys, but I'm going to just squeeze it in here. Did you guys see that Free Trade has put itself up, or has reportedly put itself up for sale and do you have a thought on that i thought it was a strange time for them to be selling themselves um i thought you know putting yourself up for sale is better done when things are selling for high prices rather than when we're all looking back at a time when things are selling for high prices maybe there's something going on at free trade that i don't know about i don't follow them very closely sort of behind the scenes or anything like that but that was my kind of initial reaction when i first heard this and then i didn't look any closer because i'm unlikely to be a buyer for them yeah, and that that was the same thing. I, I mean, I I saw the article that came out, and and they were saying that they, you know, they reported six hundred and forty seven percent revenue growth in the year, and and you look at it and you think, well, it's raised from one point seven million to twelve point seven million. That's <laughs> that's a small number, and and also a very small number. And the losses actually grew from nine point five million to eighteen point two million. So they've lost more than they've revenued by. But created revenue by by almost fifty percent. So you would assume the issue here is that they they're kind of sick of going to the well and they can't they can't crowdfund for the thirtieth time. That would just be ridiculous. So at some point you've <laughs> got to realise you're not very good at generating revenue. And perhaps if someone's going to give you two, three, four hundred million for the company, then you'd be you would be wise to take it before it before it becomes nothing. Hmm. Has anyone notified Elon Musk about this? <laughs> yeah bring uh bring trading free freedom to trading across the world mm. uh, would be the main, would be the way um I, i'd be interested to know the Britta. dates <laughs> <laughs> i'd be i'd be interested to know the dates of those uh numbers that you've given out because obviously there's a very good time and a very bad time and i think that's a point that i'm going to make in my video is that 
Training Two on Two's accounts go up to December 2021, which is a very key pivotal point in our investor sentiment. And uh, Robinhood started its downfall in August of 2021, so three months before the big old change in the markets. So I think uh, Training Two on Two increased their earnings from 13 as yeah their their bottom line profit from 13 million to about 72 million, which is a big old bump and. That was, but that's in a good time, and we have to stress that's in a very, very good time. That is almost certainly going to be uh, worse next year. I, I, I'd probably put money on that. But there's still no sign of them needing extra funding rounds and things like that. And I, I've always wondered that about free traders, why they need to go to the the investment so much. And uh, I think it's getting pretty obvious from that that. Uh, it's uh, it's not going well, and it feels like they're trying to dump it off. What? Why would you? Why would you try and sell it now in a negative market, in, in a negative sentiment environment? Is it based on probably? Is it based on the probably fact because that, they're running out of cash? Yeah. It must be that they're running out of cash. They realise they can't go to the well again. They realise that this cash runway is, is obviously not going to last as long as they hope. They've just had to sack fifteen percent of the staff. Mm. Um, because uh, they're, they're looking to cut the, the, the cash runway. And the big problem is uh, free trade, and it's been this way for a very long time, is that they've spent a really, really long time building their own platform and their own connections to things, and they've yet to prove that that was a worthwhile thing to do. Do you know what I mean? Like trading 212 is built off Interactive Brokers API and has way more features than free trade has. Uh, free trade has what they call a, a better back end, perhaps, because it's all built themselves. But if you're not if you're not churning out the revenue and you're not proving to anybody that was worthwhile doing, you might as well build off uh, Interactive Brokers API and you get a, a ready-made off-the-shelf brokerage that you can then start to tweak and, you know, and, and work how you want. So, yeah, I'm afraid I've long been a critic of free trade, so it won't be surprising for you guys to hear that I I hope it doesn't sell anything <laughs> bust. But, link, um, in, link in the description below to Steve D's free trade account there. <laughs> You won't get my free trade account. No, you have to get. years, you can. Um... Yeah, yeah, you can have it in nine hundred and ninety-nine years. I'll give you it. I think it's a good idea to disclose a bit of Steve D's bias there, in that he doesn't like free trade. I, I think you should have gathered that. But it's it's not. Uh, I would personally hit, say say right here that isn't a supportive trade into one two. Neither none of us have got like. None of us are behind a broker. We're just behind the one we think is the best at the moment. And uh, it's, I, I just want to be clear on that because it can seem, that could seem quite unfair what you just said there. Well, I'm still a shareholder in free trade. Just are so, you? Just I thought so you sold it. Yeah, yeah well, out. I accidentally, I found out the other day that I didn't sell four of the shares I own. So technically, <laughs> I'm still a shareholder. That's uh, that's like, that's over 10% of the, of the uh, company, isn't it, at the moment? It'd still be worth nothing. What's the opposite <laughs> of talking your own book? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um... We do have new features or new things on Trading 2 and 2. Unfortunately, we don't really want to talk about it too much, but it is a sign of things to come, I guess, is that they added a thousand new stocks uh, this week, uh, but they all got added to the CFD platform. But interestingly, they were pretty much all from the Japanese exchange, which is an exchange that we haven't Mm -hmm. previously had um, access to before. So Steve and I were chatting in as as we normally do about this, and we thought to ourselves, that'll be really interesting when we move on to, um, when eventually you would assume if they're getting added to CFDs, they're going to eventually get added to the Invest in ISAs. Usually a, usually a sign that they're coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so Steve and I thought, well, we'd have a quick look through um, through basically what J- Japanese stocks would be interested in. And we thought, why not start with the ones that Warren Buffett looked at? Yeah, Paul, you know about these. He owns the kind of six major um, trading houses. You did a video on them once, I think. How many of them can you name still? <laughs> How many can we name? Uh, Sumitomo. There's one. Matsu something. <laughs> Half a point. <laughs> I no, that's about me then. I can't remember. Uh, okay, I mean that wasn't bad. Um you had Mitsubishi, uh which is the one you might 
have remembered from like making sort of microwave yeah. ovens and cars yeah. and everything in between. Uh, Mitsui, which might have been where you were going, Itochu yeah. and Marubeni uh, being yeah. the other ones of these. Uh, yeah, these are the kind of things that occasionally catch the eye of Buffett followers like me. And to be honest, the main thing I'm looking forward to is seeing all these uh, Berkshire Hathaway portfolio pies that we kind of see in the social area get updated with the kind of actual non-US bits of it as well, because those are sort of fairly well known about. And I'll be interested to see how people kind of add those into their um, copy pie things that are updating. But Steve, what is a Japanese trading house? Um, okay, so a, a trading house is, well, well, for starters, Japan is an island with like very few resources. It doesn't grow very much food and it doesn't have very much space so it has to import a huge amount of the the, the goods that it uses so uh, it does the vast majority of it through what are known as sogo shosha or trading houses to us um, they were developed in the late 1800s uh, this was to help japan's crumbling economy they were um, a vital part of propping up and rebuilding japan's economy after the second world war so the biggest asset is their size so this allows them to navigate volatile currency markets they use smart hedges things like forward contracts it means that the products they purchase for Japan generally avoid huge price fluctuations. Uh, their huge economies of scale also allow them to get discounts from manufacturers or suppliers uh, and obviously reduce transport costs, things like that. Mm, pretty much. So why is Warren Buffett own these things, do you think? I, I'm going to get there first before you get to me on this one because I don't know the answer. Yeah, am I supposed to know the answer? No. <laughs> uh. well, my, my, my guess would be that these are... Uh, um, <laughs> These are very good entrance into uh, entrance into Japan. They, they cover a wide range of lots of the products that Japan uh, makes and ships, and yeah. they trade at very decent valuations. And um, they have actually performed over a longer period of time, usually better than the Japan indexes themselves. So, if you wanted a wide ranging index like coverage of Japan rather than picking the index on this occasion, it's usually better to go for the trading houses themselves. Yeah, so that's an interesting kind of thought by the uh, way that they're kind of thinking about this. It's worth noting then that they've, uh, Berkshire have ramped their kind of um, investment into these by a significant amount compared to where it was before and not a significant amount compared to Berkshire Hathaway in, in general. So Mitsubishi, their stake is up by 31%, Mitsui up by 32%, Tochu up wow. by 24%, Marubeni up by 33%, and Sumitomo up by 30%, as in that's how much they've increased their investment by. So they put another kind of quarter to third into sort of most of these things. That only takes it to about 8 billion in total from what I was seeing of it, which is about two Taiwan semiconductors worth uh, or so across the whole... Um, the whole five of those so they're not massive positions in this kind of scheme of things but yeah they seem like sort of fairly diversified bets across a particular kind of area it reminds me a little bit of their approach to pharmaceuticals which was i don't know which one's going to do best out of these but i think good things about this sector in general so i'll go buy a load of them and in this case there's sort of five that stand out as the the biggest and the most um likely uh, i guess along the way if you believe that commodities prices are going to stay high, I think they get hit fairly hard when commodities prices go down. And since they tend to believe that most currencies yeah. will deflate, commodities prices will presumably stay high-ish over the long term. CF, that bet on oil that Buffett appears to be uh, continually pushing along. Yeah, you've got you've just basically covered my only input on, <laughs> on that bit there. Because um, I didn't know you were talking about this. Um, but yeah... The trading houses take in all commodities and they actually have it uh, involved in their inflation protection. So when the uh, commodities go up, they get to keep the profit on these on these going on these uh, commodities going through, which is very important. High cash flow businesses, as far as I could tell before, I don't know what they're like now, but these are just solid, stable uh uh, uh trade uh, uh price uh movements all the way through they've been been pretty much flat for years but it's because and we'll bring it down to the dividend they, they it's because they give out so much of that cash flow to the investors and it keeps their price pre pretty much flat but you still as far as i can remember particularly on sumitomo you're still making sort of 10 to 12 percent a year just based in uh pushed off cash flow that 
I don't know for sure, um, but it's something that I remember. And I think they even had a yield back when Warren Buffett bought them of about twenty percent, based on the special dividend that they that they kick off every now and then. So, I mean, I put this down. I think I mentioned this to you guys in Discord. I put this buy down initially down to the amount of cash flow that comes off these businesses in comparison to how much uh, money is flowing through them, and. Now, the double down just tells me that they are using it as an inflation protection as well. The double down now is kind of interesting. Buffett was buying these, or it was kind of initially announced back in sort of 2020. It felt more recent than that to me, actually, considering we're now sort of basically two years on uh, from yeah. that, or at least two years on. Um, and since then, apparently, the stocks have done sort of fairly well. I don't follow these kind yeah. of at all, but since then, they have apparently moved up a little bit, which sort of tells you that that Berkshire are likely leaning into this as share price goes up. And it's not automatically the case they kind of buy things on dips. They've been buying Chevron, that's been going higher and higher. They've been buying Occidental and chasing that one higher as well. It looks kind of commodities-like interesting to me, um, following this sort of oil idea. I don't know much about the dividends. I um, hadn't looked very closely at them particularly. One of the other things as well is that, um, I don't know whether you guys read fairly recently, that Japan have kind of lent into this fear of um, China and Taiwan conflict in saying, well, we're not a million miles away from Taiwan, so we could take some of that semiconductor burden off you. So they've uh, eight of the biggest companies in um, Japan have basically formed this um, consortium to create to start creating two nanometer chips. That's their, that's their oh. idea within the next five years. Mm. Um they're going to be, I think it's called Rapidus off the top of my head, R-A-P-I-D-U-S. And I know it's got Toyota and Sony and uh, some other companies in the NTT, one of the big the big um, telecoms consortium. But the idea being that they will, um, they'll be using IBM's fabrication method to try and make two nanometer chips. So this is a really interesting little, little idea for uh, Japan. And they make none of this they can get from their shore so all of this if they end up being a big fabricator will have to come from elsewhere and it will have to come through the trading houses so um potentially this is buffett looking at tsm looking at apple and thinking you know these guys will also have a hand in this if it happens so it's kind of covering all the bases it's a very interesting method and lesson to learn about how the world changes and how the power changes to see that TSMC might be outsourcing their chip making to Japan. Uh, very interesting. Whereas 20 years ago, you said that would have been absolutely crazy. But yeah, they, yeah, that'd be very, yeah, interesting stuff. I never heard that. I hadn't heard about this Rapidus company, but I'm just having a quick read now. It's very, they really do want to go to two nanometer. That makes, uh, that widens out everything, creates diversity. Toyota, Sony, and six other major Japanese companies. I imagine Nikon's going to be in there as pretty much the only semiconductor manufacturer in Japan. I don't the think time. they are. No, I don't think they are. I know no? the chairman of the board is from Tokyo. He's a former uh, CEO of Tokyo Electron, who is obviously, they do mm. um, they do the crappy chips. Uh, they do, uh, I think it's 10 and 12 nanometer chips at the moment. That's the best mm. they can do. He's heading it up. So I don't know if he's necessarily the right person for the board. He might be the only person in, in Japan with any real uh, experience of making, uh, making chips in that kind of regard. But I think the two nanometer process, from what I understand of IBM, I know they've cracked it but they've only cracked the way of making one of them. They've not cracked yeah. making it at scale. And ASML will tell you quite comfortably that they they can make it chip as small as you want, but they can't make thousands of them. And that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, that's uh, very interesting to see. And on, on that as well, I've moved out of the S&P 500 and have taken your advice and gone into VWRL as well. I'm using that as my benchmark now. Uh, that is all gone. I am very slightly beating it <laughs> off the mark, but uh, yeah, that's going to change pretty soon, I'm sure. Uh, do you want to move on to Disney now? Sure. Let's have, oh. let's have a quick look at Disney. Disney has had a change at the top. Uh, Disney chose to rehire Bob Iger as chief executive after receiving an internal complaints from senior leadership that Bob Chapek was not fit for the job, according to people familiar with the matter. What do you reckon? I think we all own Disney in some way or another. 
Uh, it's been a terrible stock over the past three years for various reasons. Is one of them Bob Chapek, or, and is this going to completely change everything now the handsome Bob Iger is back on the scene? It's a good idea, I think. They've had a lot of success rebooting things like The Jungle Book and Aladdin, so, I mean, why not try it with the CEO? Uh, there's like <laughs> a, a kind of Bob Iger reboot coming in um, here. But, yeah, um, I'm... I haven't owned Disney for all that long. Uh, it's, I have, I've only owned it since it was a kind of uh, Chapek-run business, for what it's worth. So I guess maybe maybe we start from the beginning here and start with who is Bob Iger and who is Bob Chapek? Because he's kind of back, but he's kind of new to me in some ways. Steve? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one for me because actually, I don't know whether you guys know that, I think Bob Chapek was, has been at Disney for longer than Bob Iger. Um, Bob Iger was CEO for about 15, 15 years, I think. Um, he, he was only supposed to be CEO for about 11 years, but he kept putting off his retirement, uh, much to the, much to the, uh, well, to be fair, one, one, uh, deputy actually left Tom somebody or other, I seem to remember. Anyway, Bob <laughs> Chapek became his, his, uh, right hand man and, um, Bob Chapek was essentially in charge of Disney Parks uh, at that point. He was quite well known as a sort of a shrewd operator. He'd got the parks firing on all cylinders. He was part of the team that led building in Shanghai and, and well, in China in general. Um, uh, and was sort of Bob Iger's. He was the one Bob Iger wanted to replace him. He he said, this is the man. Um, I mean, shortly afterwards, they, they really did fall out because he said, you're my man, you're going to lead the company. And then when he gave him the job, he said, also, I'm going to sit in your chair for two years and look over your shoulder at stuff, which uh, apparently drew the ire of Bob Chapek. Apparently, they didn't talk to each other at all during this two-year period where it was supposed to be handover. But... Um, yeah, interesting. Do you have anything else to add before we, we, we jump in? The history on Bob Iger is simply that he got them through a different style of restructuring and recovery back in 2000, and I'm going to go with eight, something like that. Um, yeah, he, he was, he's been famously regarded as the architect of Disney smashing back up um, after a lot of uh, real estate problems. And uh, and he he went to hand it over um, and a lot of rumours out there saying he just didn't do well enough, which is a problem that people are finding with Bayaga. They're saying that at, at the end, even though he stayed in for four years longer than he probably should have, he had four years to figure out his the great replacement and they still think he kind of phoned that one in. So uh, the question is, is, is this fair to... Bob Chapek, everything that people are saying about him, and I guess is Bob Iger now going to 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 come and change it all? Well, look, I mean, I've seen some really crap takes on this, so allow me to add mine to the <laughs> pile. But I think it's key that we establish some history for everybody, just so you can understand kind of what's happened in the previous, and then I'll tell you what I think uh, about now, sir. June 28th this year, Disney has released uh, a piece of PR and it's titled Disney CEO Bob Chapek secures a new long-term contract. And it's a gushing piece. Here's another quote from it. In this important time of growth and transformation, the board <clears throat> is committed to keeping Disney on the successful path it is on today. And Bob's leadership is key to achieving that goal. Bob is the right leader at the right time for Walt Disney Company. And the board has full confidence in him and his leadership team. Let me just get this one as well. Chapek has set Disney on a course to lead the entertainment industry well into the company's next century with a keen focus on storytelling excellence, innovation and audiences. So, I mean, fast forward to today. I mean, we're not even half a year later and Chapek's gone. And yeah. a desperate call by the board to the former CEO, Bob Iger, on uh, which was what was Friday night, Friday. followed by a short weekend of negotiating culminating in a Sunday night blindsided of Chapek at 10 p.m. He's gone. He's reportedly got a check for $20 million plus his 30 years of equity options. So I'm not too sad for him. <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to be all right. It's not going to be a problem. But if you um, had listened to some of Bob Iger's previous interviews, because Bob Iger has been very, very busy recently. And I mean, in the past, like six months, he's been he's been turning up at loads of film stuff, loads of streaming stuff. He's been doing uh talks to loads of tech companies uh and in some of those 
interviews uh and they've basically been one-on-one interviews and everyone has commented on how handsome he is and how charismatic he is during these he things and why and you know he, he is pretty handsome yeah definitely but um <laughs> why um if you if you could have put two and two together at that time you would have noticed that he was actually calling disney he's been calling disney to come back in because he even said it sometimes in his, in his retirement and I think some interviews with his wife or something like that as well, that he's bored. He's really, really bored at home since he started um, his retirement. And this has kind of been coming. I think this has been these have been little moves in the background, talking to the bosses. And then this now Friday night um, phone call might not have been the only phone call that has happened but it's the last one that said okay now's the time to jump on so i well, think this there, has been a slow process there was a couple of things though if if biden wasn't going to run the rumor was that Iger was going to run in his spot uh mm. as leader of the democrats so that mm. was one of the things that people thought he was starting to get his voice out because we obviously just had the midterms biden was yet to announce at that point whether he planned on running in the next uh, period and the thought was at that point that Igel would like to move into politics. He's long been a, a sort of political uh, political talker, so yeah. they thought that he would that would be that he would uh, he would uh, move in. Wow, yeah, that that was uh, well, they weren't, so it's probably not a mistake. But that would have been a very interesting uh, uh, political rival for Donald Trump because he probably would have really given him a good good go and uh, probably been. Quite an interesting president, probably quite positive. But with Chapek, uh, he's had a few problems. Uh, arguably, some have been dished out to him. Uh, you know, we've had the park shut and he was a little bit, uh, he was a bit strict on the staff that were there. The staff at the parks, not necessarily happy with him. We had the problems with Don't Say Gay. That was a, quite an issue there where he decided to take on the government or at least a, a very popular senator i think uh, what's his name DeSantis. DeSantis. desantis yeah so don't say gay was very uh, but i think he um that was a big problem we've had content issues lots of wokeness going into the uh in, into the movies which i would argue is not his decision whatsoever um but uh, what I'm asking you guys is, is this his fault? Is, is all this his fault? Well, the truth here is that we don't, we don't know exactly. Uh, I've watched a couple of YouTubers takes. I've read a couple of Twitter threads. I've read a lot of articles uh, over the week. And I'm afraid I'm going to pick on Joseph Carlson here because I felt like his take was, was probably the worst. So he's got three main points that we're going to, we're going to, attempt to dissuade you from here. So he accused Chapek, a 30-year Disney veteran, um, of not understanding Disney content. Obviously, this was by a Disney veteran eh? of zero years, um, YouTuber Joseph Carlson. Um, his argument for this point consisted of Joseph pointing out that in a recent Wall Street Journal interview, and I'm paraphrasing here because I really couldn't watch the video twice, um, <laughs> that Chapek says, Disney has a broad content spectrum speculating that there's plenty of family-oriented animated content on Plus to watch and more gritty stuff and presumably non-animated stuff for the adults to watch after the children have gone to bed. Uh, that was Joseph's uh, gripping analysis. He somehow took offence that um, adults are not watching cartoons or not all adults are watching cartoons after their children go to bed uh, and that somehow means that Bob Chapek, um doesn't understand Disney content. I would say that was uh, bollocks. So um, <laughs> he also and pointed out that Jesus. parks aren't back to full capacity despite them all being open. Uh, I think forgetting that throughout JPEG's tenure, uh, both China parks have been both open and shut on a number of occasions. And what I think we got here was that US folk forgetting that this thing's outside of the US. So I'm fairly mm. confident that um, Joseph didn't get this right. Steve, you've got a little bit on earnings here. Yeah, so I had a look at their most recent earnings. One of the reasons I heard kind of mooted around was, look, fairly superficially, if you just look at this, the share price has come down quite a lot. Shareholders generally start to get fidgety uh, when share prices come down. And 
there's been some kind of iffy financial results as well. So Chapex talked a lot about Disney Plus and their kind of media um, segment. Parks yeah. have done really, really well. They're up 36%. They've been posting record this, that, and the other over the last few years. So complaining about the parks seems unlikely to me as a kind of uh, source of much discontent. But Disney Plus has been going in what you might think is the kind of wrong direction. They lump that media segment in together along with the kind of linear networks, which is stuff like ESPN and so on and so forth. Linear networks were lower revenue, higher profits most recently, but Disney Plus and so on was higher revenue, lower profits. Subscribers were up, average revenue per user fairly obviously down. Um, JPEG said that peak losses were behind them in this, so it seems kind of mean to me to not kind of give them a bit longer to let that kind of play out. Losses are widening in the Disney Plus segment. This is a bad time to be widening losses. That's probably true. I can see that kind of, um, some sense to that thought, but it seems to me like it's quite an impatient move to be thinking, oh, panic, we're going in the wrong direction here, especially for a company like Disney. Yeah. yeah. And that's where we move on to Joseph's third point, which was that, and this one's been fairly heavily reported, so um, you can forgive Joseph and others for falling into this trap, but Chapek, uh, who is reportedly a, an apolitical individual, he first mm. off refused to comment on the Don't Say Gay bill uh, before uh, bowing to or bowing to uh, reported internal pressures and speaking out against it. He lost Disney's special status in the meantime after the Republican governor DeSantis retaliated. So Woke Bob said, and I quote, I'm with the president on this. If passed, this bill will put vulnerable young LGBTQ people in jeopardy, end quote. When pushed on the ramifications, he said, um, sometimes you don't worry about the business. You don't worry about how it's going to affect you. You have to take a stand, end quote. And I think that's pretty damning, except Bob Chapek didn't say any of this. This was Bob Iger. What Chapek actually said was, what we try to do is be everything to everybody. That tends to be very difficult because we're the Walt Disney Company. We certainly don't want to get caught up in any political issues, but at the same time, we also realise that we represent a brighter tomorrow for families of all types, regardless of how they define themselves. So that's a completely different statement to Bob Iger. So anybody saying Bob Chapek is woke and Bob Iger isn't is just talking rubbish. Yeah, so, I was going to I was going to say this because the, the Don't Say Gay one is the one I know the most about, and what one of where I'm trying to say that Chapek or Chapek has done bad or good here, I think in some of the other things that we've talked about, Chapek has done brilliantly. But I think this was a really, uh, you might have a different opinion on this, but I think this was a really like just catch 22 situation because on one side, you've got the rights going oh, he's, look, he's ridiculously woke and blah, blah, blah. And he's putting in different endings to videos, uh, to movies. And uh, he uh, opposed it because in the end, they opposed Don't Say Gay, which is the the reason why they removed their special tax status uh, from from the actual island. But on the other hand, I heard the other day from uh, Lefty Leaning Pivot podcast that they, he was too slow, you know, so it, they, he can't win. He's the left and the right in this one are both attacking him on this one. So I feel like uh, if by, if had took the stand, maybe he'd have a bit more left sided. Like he'd have to choose his side. He might have a few more left sided viewers and a lot of the right handed right sided viewers would have shunned him a little bit or um, maybe the best thing to do was take a big stand like Iger did and not he, care because the content's good, right? He certainly hasn't blundered in there, is what the, the phrase I've seen banded around. Or he blundered into politics. Well, I don't think he's blundered in there. I think his statement is is really measured. I think Very I get, you could argue, argue has blundered in. But look, here's some more work stuff for you, Paul. Under <laughs> Chapek, Disney faced a backlash over a lesbian kiss in the kids' movie Lightyear, and a transgender person bought some tampons in the TV series Baymax. They were all blamed under Chapek. Unfortunately, if you actually look at the timelines of them, they were all signed off during Iger's tenure. Yeah. So if you're okay with it, I'm going to disregard everything Joseph Carlson had to say. And... <laughs> uh, anything about the share price being down and look i want to see if we can find some truth about why um why chapek has been fired steve you've got a little bit here sure um so yeah i heard some obvious stuff about the kind of disney plus segment and so on but 
Um, Chapek was talking as though he was expecting things to really pick up in, in 2024. The don't say gay stuff, just for anyone who hasn't been following this that closely, was a kind of Florida bill that wanted to uh, limit discussions of LGBTQ plus uh, issues anywhere under the third grade in schools in Florida, from what I understand of it. So uh, make of that what you will. It's arguably not the kind of thing you want your company either being in or dragged into one way or another. But uh, just for context, that's what that's about. Yeah, uh, might things be picking up for them, Steve, in 2024? Is that significant? Well, look, we, we just won't be able to find out now because if it doesn't play out, you've got a feeling that JPEG's just going to get blamed. And if it does play out, it'll be because Iger changed something and uh, JPEG wasn't going to. So really now we, we, we're left in this period of flux where we don't know if he's actually figured it out or not. Um, I can tell you what I think's gone wrong, though, Steve. I've got three main areas which I think is the reason why JPEG's gone. Um, so I've titled the first one Kareem Daniel. So JPEG sort of usurped responsibilities from a lot of the old management team and he installed his right hand man right above them in the food chain. So a lot of Disney execs were used to having autonomy and making decisions themselves, presenting them to the CEO, and now forced to present them to Kareem Daniel, who's a 42-year-old young guy, who in turn would present them to Bob if he thought they were worthy. I mean, this combined with the reorganization of the media and entertainment side of Disney gave Daniel one of the most important jobs in the history of media. Uh, people who used to be in control of their own budgets lost the role overnight, so... JPEG here thought he was streamlining decision-making at Disney. What he actually did was bloody the noses and egos of some very important staff members, leading to key players leaving. Kevin Mayer going to be TikTok CEO. Uh, he mm -hmm. ousted Peter Rice, who uh, was the well-respected chairman of entertainment and programming. Uh, insiders were baffled by this decision. It, it stunned them. Uh, Kelly Campbell left shortly afterwards. She's gone straight to the rival streamer, Peacock. So they've left some pretty... Good talent there, straight off the bat. People have been there a long time. This generally isn't a business model that works well, is it? I mean, I would kind of say this sort of thing, but it's very much a Berkshire Hathaway way to get good people and then let them get the hell on with it. By contrast, the natural comparison is something like GE that tried to run everything sort of centrally in various different ways and have someone that was a kind of czar of everything and great insight into... Uh, various different things that ideally you find specialists in and let them get on with it. This never seems to end terribly well. And going over the top of the chairman isn't something that sort of works very well. I mean, I heard this in the context of firing Parks employees as well, uh, for what that's worth. Anything significant there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chapek's tenure has been sort of marred with discontent from uh, the theme park division employees in California. So, um in July, uh, the company announced it was forcing 2,000 workers to relocate to a new campus in Central Florida. R remember that uh, there was discontent from inside the organiza organization about the Don't Say Gay Bill to then move 2,000 workers forcibly, 2,800 miles trip across eight states. We're literally going from the west coast of the U.S. to the very east coast of the U.S. Uh, and uh, if they don't move, they get fired. Um, that just seems dumb to me. I don't think it seems dumb management, but made worse by the fact that this didn't even go ahead. The Florida campus isn't even finished and won't be finished until 2026. I mean, come on, Bob, there's, there's four years before you, you know, you, before you've got to get this across. Yeah, it's, it does make me wonder if he sat down with that one and went, uh, guys, do we, do we think this is a smart idea? Okay, so those are the two things that I'd seen one way or another, kind of firing Parks employees and going over the top of the chairman quite a bit, as well as kind of tilting, uh, using that power to kind of tilt the company towards its Disney Plus stuff, which is losing money. What else have you got as your third point here, Steve? Uh, the last one would have really drawn the ire of Bob Iger and probably his board, <laughs> who you've got to remember are all Iger appointees at some point. So um, I think Chapek's taken advantage of Disney customers. So there's been a decrease in park visitors, uh, visitor numbers by about 17%, uh, but there's been a like-for-like -like increase in profit per guest of about 17 points. And that, that uh, 17%, and that points to only one thing. I think Disney and Nickel and, Di uh, Nickel and Diming the customers. So um, they've done this in a number of ways, but here's a few, uh, including 
getting rid of free fast pass for rides they've got rid of magic bands and they've even got as far as cutting the free bus service that carried guests from the airport to disney hotels all of these are still available but you have to pay for them they've angered regulars that by freezing sales of the annual pass uh, limiting how often existing pass holders can come and visit the park the rationale is less regular visitors spend more than pass holders so when you're limited in how many people you can have on site you're better over the people who are going to spend more uh, they've also increased parking entry fees park interview used to be fixed and now it varies between parks and even between times and some tickets prices have actually doubled since 2019 so mm -hmm. there's a lot there that would have drawn the anger of Iger. Iger wanted people in the park he wanted people to be, disney to be accessible for all families and i think chapek has started to take that away from some families mm. so where does that leave us then as disney shareholders uh, so the future, I guess, is that Iger has a two-year deal. Uh, he's got a bumper salary of one million base, one million bonus, targeting, targeted incentives of another twenty-five million. It's hard not to think this was some sort of grand plan, Paul. Um, but here we are. Uh, he posted a very nice statement thanking everybody for the opportunity. Disney chose not to publish anything from Bob Chapek. Iger's expected to carry out many of the cuts Chapek communicated to staff in the last fortnight, including cutting Disney Plus spend, cutting marketing spend, and cutting the headcount. Uh, yesterday it was reported in the CBR that Bob Iger is actually here to set up Disney for sale uh, to Apple of all companies was the report <laughs> has Iger ever heard of antitrust and what do you guys think uh, I think that's a lie right he is in there to actually do the job he was supposed to do before he left and he is going to write the ship and then he is going to find an actual replacement that he can leave alone and go and do the job for him that's what he's there to do he's not here to who's going to buy dizzy well i know it's a good business but who's who's got apple. money <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Apple. Apple's going to buy Disney, and also you—you you were talking about nickel and diamond, the uh, the customer. Uh, is that not pricing power? You know, Disney's price tickets have gone up sort of seventy percent in the last twenty years, where wages have only gone up sort of ten percent. And uh, does that not reflect the great pricing power of Disney at the moment? And or should we be giving people that stuff for free? I mean, it does. It does show pricing power. It, it does definitely show pricing power. But uh, eventually, at the at the end of it, Disney's going to get to a point where it can't show pricing power anymore because it becomes mm. unaffordable. So, Iger mm. is in favour of making Disney accessible. He thinks that's part of what mm. makes Disney great: is that people can afford to yeah. come here. You know, you might only be able to afford to come once, um, but the time you do come is is meant to be a magical experience. So uh, that's one of the things that the more and more you raise the prices of it, the, the less accessible it, it, it becomes. Iger was in favour of a slow, um, you know, one, two, three, four, five, maybe ten percent increase every year, whereas Bob Chapek has essentially doubled the price of some tickets. Then the New Year's tickets have gone from a hundred dollars a day to to one hundred and eighty-five dollars a day. So. You know, that's a huge jump in just a matter of a couple of years. And you could understand it when, when COVID was here and Disney said, look, I, you know, we can open the parks, but we can only have half as many people here. But the problem is, is that now the parks are pretty much fully open in the US. They, they're not dropping the prices back down. So it's kind of like a disingenuous contract with the customer, isn't it? And, and that's the problem there is mm -hmm. that Disney can have all the pricing power at once. And in the same way, we all thought Netflix had the pricing power until that last price increase when everybody yeah. said, whoa, hang on a second, two pound more. That's the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. And Disney cannot afford to get to that price. If if Disney ever gets to that kind of level of price, they're in serious trouble. Yeah, but it's a bit, I've, I find it's a bit endemic, you know, since 2004. I'm just looking at some, some actual figures I've just drawn up here, actually. Uh, so it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 60 percent the uh disney ticket prices raised between the years of 2004 and 2020 so not even 2022 and wage prices went up three percent so yeah, and since uh, then he's added another 80 percent in two years yeah i know it's ridiculous isn't it um yeah you you're getting you're getting close to that to that ticket price although i still know people who are going i know people who have still gone even though They've kind of looked at it and gone, mm, we can't get into half of it because a lot of it's like even though the parks fully are open, uh, there's parts of the parks you still can't go into at the moment. And uh, it's quite, yeah, it's quite tough to 
to to make that decision. So I think the parks aren't open yet. And I think when the parks do finally open, uh, particularly in China as well, um, that that's the day you get your 10%. Uh, that's one of your 10 days in the in the 10 years that you're going to get on Disney. And I think uh, you just got to be, it's going to be painful until then. I think it's a wait for sale, Disney. I think in ten, if you're planning on going to Disney now, I would just hang fire. I think this recession is going to lead to some attractive prices for holiday in Disney. And I would, I would personally wait for them. And I hope off the back of this, Disney learns a lesson about, about you know, raising prices too fast, being greedy. I think I broadly agree. Yeah. Travel demand seems to be sort of normalising a little bit, so that pent-up kind of uh, surge of stuff is coming off a little bit. I think Disney would probably hold up better than some other things will because it's Disney uh, and that will carry it quite a long way. But I am also expecting there to be... I'm not expecting it to be immune uh, from this kind of thing, even if I am expecting it to fare better than sort of some hotel chains or something like that. As far as the kind of Apple thing goes, uh, I think I will wait for something slightly better than what I read on this, which was unnamed insider close to Bob Iger says might be mm. selling it to Apple. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I'll look for something a little more official sounding than uh, random Disney employee says we're going to flock ourselves to Apple. Um, but it would be cool <laughs> if it happened, I think. I'd enjoy that if it happened. So, you final word he, on... He, oh, go on. I was just going to say, you think it's even on the list? I just don't see it. No. Well, <laughs> Apple, <laughs> Apple are getting mentioned with everything at the moment. They're talking about... Yeah, they're too busy buying Peloton Man at the United. moment. Yeah, Peloton is another that I've seen, and then now Disney as well. But got final word on Disney then, guys. I think we're yeah. all... Are we all still holders? Yeah. Yeah, um, is it certainly. Is it buy, sell, or hold for you? Uh, at the moment, I'm on hold, but I think it's only because I did a buy of it two weeks ago i think and so i'm just kind of holding on it uh, a little bit and um yeah uh Dave, yeah i'm holding on i haven't actually looked today but most recently i looked at it so it's buy yeah and for me it's a buy as well i'll be buying it on tomorrow on friday mm. lovely stuff thank you very much for listening everyone uh keep your subscribers subscribes coming in on the youtube channel keep taking that subscribe button and uh, listen on the podcast thank you very much guys and we'll see you next week